Welcome to Crunching Tackles, where we break down the hardest hitting social issues in sports. On today's show, recent Supreme Court decisions and federal legislation have challenged the framework for transgender participation in sports. What are the two sides of this argument, and is there any middle ground for compromise? My name is Chad Wiley, and with me, as always, to break this issue down is John Nekrasov. And John, while I am certainly excited to be talking to you today about this topic, I am much more excited for when this Zoom call ends so I can go watch Major League Baseball opening day in peace. How are you today? Um, I'm pretty good. I will not be watching Major League Baseball opening day in peace or watching it at all for that matter. Um, how do, the real question I have for you is how does it feel to be repping the exact same team as Ben Shapiro? It's not a big deal. I mean, <laughs> you know, sports is the great the – great, bringer together of people so if ben shapiro and i have something in common that's great what, what i will say about the team that ben shapiro and i support is that for the first time in over a decade we can have legitimate world series thoughts and aspirations which is that's super what he was exciting saying on his instagram story today yeah the chicago thought, white yeah. Sox are legitimate world series contenders and that is a joy for me and for ben shapiro and for all the other white Sox fans out there in the world but so much more important than opening day of baseball today you know i feel like we've been going big places over the past few weeks you and i a couple weeks ago i went to indianapolis to cover a march madness game on the ground and today i am talking to the owner of a world famous tiktok star chad would you like to talk about just how much of a millennial you are now in january my wife Megan and I got a puppy. We named him Mando for obvious reasons. And shortly after that, my wife decided that her her ultimate career aspiration is to be the social media manager for her dog. And so she started a TikTok account for Mando. It's called Mando the Pup with two Ps at the end. And we recently found out that when Megan and I are singing, Mando likes to also start howling. And we caught a particular snippet where we were singing a Taylor Swift song and Mando like howled in harmony with us. And so we we decided we were going to post it on TikTok. And it now has something like 422,000 views and 111,000 likes. And it went pretty viral, really quite viral. Uh, You don't find many videos on TikTok with that many views. So No, what's concerning about that is... Given that you've posted maybe like eight TikToks, yeah, it was dog. like yeah, it was like his eighth. It was his eighth this TikTok. Is, we've this is episode forty nine of Crunching Tackles. I sense you know that in however long this podcast lasts, we probably will never reach that many listens on a podcast. I mean, ever. we probably just need to start chopping up our podcast into minute videos that we could put on TikTok and then see what happens. I sincerely apologize to our listeners who are having to put up with a bombardment of what I believe are leaf blowers outside my dorm. I don't know if you can hear that, Chad, but... I can hear it a little bit, yeah. It's Whoa. quite noisy. Yeah, it's... it's You know, if we posted maybe us having sports conversations with the people leaf blowing outside the door, maybe we would go viral on TikTok. Or, or you trying to talk while I'm blowing a leaf blower at you on TikTok. That would be even better. I just hate the idea of being on TikTok. That's my yeah. own problem. But so all that to say is my dog, Mando, is now significantly more famous than any other member of my family or any of my friends for that matter. And so, yeah, I have a superstar residing under my roof with me. Mm. So, yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting, definitely an interesting week in that regard. You Living would like the shadow of a chihuahua. It was so weird because like 
we would be like refreshing Megan or the I, Megan runs the account. So we'd be refreshing her phone with the TikTok, and it would be getting like hundreds of likes every single time we refreshed. Mm-hmm. It was like 200 likes in the last two seconds, and then 100 likes in the last two seconds, and it's like this is like a legitimate like sensation. I think it's like, a great example of internet virality culture and the rush of blood to the head that you get. It seems like I, I think it's really going to your guys' heads. I'm not gonna lie. Like this amount of power in social media dog platform form, I think it's it may be a little bit too much for you. I'm a little concerned. Is my head getting a little big, John? Is it, is it kind of blowing up the Zoom call over here? I think it might be. Well, I'm sure you'll have plenty of time during this podcast to humble me down with your witty debating skills. But, John, before we get into our topic, we've been talking about me. Are you doing well? Do you have any good plans for Easter or for the rest of your semester? Uh, yeah. I mean, I am just working on thesis and capstone projects and nice. job applications and all nice. the things. Going down to uh, Catherine's family's house for Easter in a couple of days, which should be good. Um, and... Yeah, beyond that, just kind of getting ready for the semester to wind down. It's kind of weird to think that I've got a month of school left. Like, that's a bizarre thought. That is weird. Life oh, has yeah. moved so quickly. Life life comes at you fast, John. In the past year, we've, we've definitely seen that to be true. I my, you know, my college experience was kind of over before I even knew it was over. But at least mm-hmm. you can kind of have a countdown in your mind. So you kind of know, have some, some sense of finality to it when it comes. Yeah, it, kind of, it kind of feels like it's just a big April Fool's joke, which we're recording on April Fool's Day. So We are. That's true. John, let's go ahead and get into today's segment because I feel like this is going to take a, a big chunk of time today. This is yep. going to be a long one. Yep, yep. This, po- this topic kind of came to my mind recently when the Equality Act was being passed through the House of Representatives. This Equality Act involves, among many things, full and equal transgender participation in sports and it's received a lot of reaction both pro and con people in support saying this is finally providing equality for transgender people in the sporting world opponents of the law are saying that it actually is the opposite of what the law says that it's actually inequality for biological women who want to participate in sports and so there are going to be many different sides to this and we're going to get into the actual merit of the arguments and kind of explain both sides and see if there's any middle ground. But before we do that, John and I just want to provide a little bit of a legal framework of where this issue is in America right now. John, we know about Title IX in college sports and we know about the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, but in regards to those issues and in terms of like current news and legislation, where is the state of the transgender sports debate right now in American society. Yeah. First of all, I would just like to say this ultimately is going to be discussion about the situation and what the sporting world is going to do about it. We're not going to hash over the issue of transgender rights themselves and kind of that whole situation and how you define that. Um, That's beyond the scope of this podcast and have been hashed over by many people who are much smarter than us on both sides of the aisle. That being said, obviously the issue kind of has come to a head right now because even though the numbers are still small, there are a lot of transgender athletes across the country who are wanting to compete specifically in women's sports. Men become women and then um, want to compete in women's sports. Um, So that is causing the issue. And so, you know, states, essentially the starting point of this conversation is along with the Equality Act, um, a few different states have passed laws in their legislature over the past couple of months 
requiring athletes to compete according to their biological sex at birth. Um, South Dakota, I think, passed the law first recently. Governor Kristi Noem refused to sign that law, but then she did her own executive order. And along with that state, Tennessee, Arkansas, and Mississippi have all also passed similar laws over the past couple of months, along with Idaho, which passed a similar bill in March 2020. But a federal judge um, filed an injunction against it or ruled ruled against the law taking place due to the bill violating the 14th Amendment and contrasting with the NCAA rules and the Olympic Committee rules. Um, it's kind of the current, that's a lot of like legal, legal stuff, legal overview. Kind of the current issue that we have right now is various states are trying to pass laws banning transgender athletes from competing in the sport gender bracket of their choice, basically. The Supreme Court has ruled that things like Title IX, in cases like Bostock versus Clayton County, the Title IX... You mean the 14th Amendment? In the 14th Amendment, yeah. That these discussions of anti-discrimination apply to transgender athletes and transgender people in employment and in colleges across the country, which is not in the original text of those rules. So we kind of have a federal issue of how do we define the rights of transgender people on the one hand, and we have states trying to establish and protect, in their view, women's sports from unfair competition, basically. And that's essentially what is currently happening at the moment. That's right. John, at the outset, I also want to just a, a little bit of a disclaimer with this. We're not talking about this issue because it is a rampant issue with a bunch of examples right now. A lot of the conversation about transgender athletes is about what could happen and like right. the precedent setting. But as far as what's happening right now, we're talking about a few hundred cases across high schools throughout America, mm -hmm. a few dozen in colleges, hardly any at the professional level of transgender athletes trying to play. And so this is an issue that as of right now is being talked about a lot more than it's actually being put into practice. And so a lot of the conversation is about the precedent the law is setting and what the, you know, if you take that snowball all the way down to the bottom of the mountain, what can we end up with there? Right. And so that's worth noting as well. As far as the Title IX, obviously that was a decision that provided equal scholarships for men and women and it helped advance women's sports collegiately. And in terms of the 14th Amendment, like John said, Bostock versus Clayton County ruled that LGBTQ plus protection was extended to people in the workplace particularly. And it's also an interesting case because that was a conservative, two conservatives actually, who sided with the majority and actually a conservative, Neil Gorsuch, who wrote the opinion in that case. Mm -hmm. It's also worth noting, John, why the government is involved in these decisions. Like, why isn't this a league or a sports organization decision? And the reason is because we're talking first and foremost about public high schools, public colleges, and issues of discrimination where the federal government does have a say. So this is not necessarily involving private universities or private high schools. It could be if they're taking federal money, then they are pursuant to some federal regulations. But it is worth noting that this is a jurisdiction where what the government, especially the federal government, the Supreme Court, more so, and then the Congress and the president, what they decide to do will be law and will be enforceable at the high school level, at the college level, and at the professional level. Right. Which, you know, going back a few, I guess roughly 10 or 15 years, the NCAA already had rules allowing transgender athletes to compete. 
Um, so that's not it's not a new issue for them or for the International Olympic Committee, who already have a set set of standards for athletes who have gone through the hormonal transition and sex transition and allowing them to compete within very specific guidelines. So this is very much kind of asking what is going to be the legal framework for the entire country, specifically for public institutions, um, beyond just what does the NCAA want? Because it's a question, it is a question of civil rights, ultimately. That's right. What are the civil rights? And that's why the 14th Amendment being applied to LGBTQ plus people was such a big deal. Yeah, John, before we get into kind of the two sides of the story, like any good debate would start, I want to start by just defining and being super clear on a few terms Mm -hmm. that we're going to be using. When John and I say right to play, what we really mean is they can be eligible to play for a team of their choice. No one has a right to play a sport. I did not have a right to play high school basketball at Raleigh Charter because I wasn't good enough to make the team. Like I had a right to try out. Mm -hmm. I had a right to attempt to play. I was eligible to play. I was attending Raleigh Charter and had two hands and could, in theory, play basketball. (laughs) But that did not mean that I had a right to actually be on the team. We all know that you had nothing else but the right in theory. (laughs) That's that's correct. Right. And it's also worth noting that we're going to be using terms biological and transgender in terms of gender, biological being what you were born, transgender, what you identify with. And then the last thing that I think we need to note from the top is that ultimately, we've, and we've talked about this in the past, John, the merit of sports, especially at an early age for a person's development, mm-hmm. for their progress as a person, is something that's super important. And regardless of how someone identifies and regardless of how I feel about the way someone identifies, I'm approaching this topic from the idea that I want there to be a safe and inclusive place for everyone to play sports. Mm-hmm. Because sports is a joy of my life. Sports is something that has benefited me greatly throughout my life. It's something that I have benefited from and I want anyone who wants to be able to participate in sports to have those same benefits from. And so this is going to be a pretty raw and vulnerable conversation as John and I kind of just talk everything through. We don't have perfectly formed opinions. We don't know what the experience of transgender athletes is like. I personally have tried to do as much reading as I can, but I don't know any transgender people or any transgender athletes in particular that I was able to talk to. Um, I've just tried to read and understand their experiences. And so, but it is worth noting that I think the the tone of this podcast is trying to find a solution where everyone can find mm-hmm. a place in sports. Yeah. Because I mean, there is, as we're, as we're getting into the two sides of the argument, right? There's, on the one hand, the question of inclusivity. There was a New York Times article when, um, when Idaho passed their law last year, um, they talked about kind of the two sides of the story. And there's the question of inclusivity on the one hand of asking, you know, like, I guess regardless of your moral beliefs on the situation and your legal beliefs in the situation, you know, it's important to recognize both that side, like Chad was saying, kind of discussing, you know, the opportunity for everyone to play sports. And at the same time, also the legitimate concerns, I think, um, from the other side asking about, you know, how do you establish a fair playing field within women's sports when we are trying to advance women's sports so much? And that's not something that just should be swept under the rug, which is happening in some circumstances in a lot of opinion articles I've read. Yeah, John, I think let's get into it a little bit first. And I guess we can start with the side that says that transgender athletes should only be allowed to play in sports that represent their biological gender, their biological sex. And so that argument 
kind of starts with the obvious and scientific physiological differences between biological males and biological females. I have a exhaustive list here that I've kind of compiled that I just kind of want to go through real quick mm. that illustrates that point. This is not opinion. These are Googleable scientific facts. The average biological adult male is five feet nine and weighs 197 pounds. The average female, five feet four and 170 pounds. So that's about a seven, or I'm sorry, that's a five inch and about 20 pound difference. The fastest sprint ever recorded in the 100 meter dash by a biological female was 10.49 uh, seconds. If that time was put into the male list, it would rank lower than 6,000. So there are 6,000 male times in the 100 meter dash that would faster mm. than the fastest women. The average PGA player drives the golf ball 290 yards. The average woman professional player, LGPA, or now we're talking about professional athletes, mm -hmm. 270 yards. The average men's tennis serve is 114 miles an hour. Average for women, 98 miles per hour. The average NBA player is six foot seven. The average WNBA player, five foot nine. The fastest pitch ever by a female, and this is like, oh, this is not softball, this is an overhand baseball mm -hmm. pitch, is 69 miles per hour in the Guinness Book of World Records. Aroldis Chapman in the Major League Baseball has thrown a pitch 105 miles per hour. So that's just kind of explains, and this is, you know, this is just scientific evidence that there is an inherent difference, and that inherent difference does give a competitive advantage or a competitive disadvantage when we're talking about sports. Right. Yeah, so I guess the initial, the initial challenge here, we're going to talk about solutions later. We have a breakdown between, a split between men's and women's sports, obviously, for a reason, you know, so that women's sports have a level playing field to succeed at the same level that men do um you know it's just not workable even, even from a safety perspective you know with the differences in bone structure that men and women have to to just have like co-ed sports leagues professionally you know i mean we have co-ed rec leagues but in the professional world you know like the stats that you just said you know it there's a reason we have them split up right right and so that the the, the issue at hand that people on the i guess anti right to play side of things for transgender athletes would be that anyone in theory any man can in their view decide that he is a female and if he's not succeeding as much as he would like in men's sports he can then choose to become a female go through transition and then you know dominate women's sports basically and that's kind of the i guess the the core of the argument that people who are concerned about this current legal movement is ultimately that like worst case scenario like we're talking about yeah and john it, in terms of the part of this argument that i agree with or at least see the merit of it mostly comes down to the integrity of comp athletic competition mm -hmm. you know and it's not, it, it isn't even as much about the two genders but it's about those physiological differences right. there is a reason that floyd mayweather was not allowed to compete for the heavyweight championship of the world. That's because he's like five foot six and weighs like 130 pounds. Mm -hmm. Like he's not a he's not a worse boxer. In fact, he's probably a better boxer in proportion to his height and weight than any heavyweight boxer ever was. Right. But it would be a dangerous and uncompetitive situation to allow him to compete for a title against people who are eight inches 
and about 200, about 100 pounds heavier than he is. Mm-hmm. Like that's just, it's an unsafe and uncompetitive situation. And so when we talk about like, that's why we have weight divisions in, in pugilistic sports. And that speaks to the fact that it isn't even as much about the, the gender, like we, we must keep male and female separate right. just for moral reasons. It's actually to keep the competition more competitive and have people who look in terms of height and weight, who run, who throw, who compete, with similar physiological structures to each other. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about this whole issue, there was a, a New York Times article I read, I guess it was yesterday, that was basically talking about the kind of fact that the conservative political movement has kind of been banding together around this issue over the past couple of months since the election <clears throat> and kind of painting it as this like culture war issue where mm-hmm. Republicans who don't actually care about women's sports are finding a way to like band together for a new like culture war topic and be like we want to preserve women's sports now and i saw another an opinion article um that was basically saying like you guys are claiming you want to defend women's sports when you're not supporting all these other things about women's sports but when it comes down to this moral issue you're like you know preserve women's sports and so i think right off the bat there's an interesting question there of ultimately you know this is not a question of can women play in men's sports like that that's not something anyone's debating. Or can transgender men play in men's sports? Is because of right. the com- right. physical competitive advantages we just talked about, that's not really something that's being discussed. It's the question of... I mean, but biological women can play in male-dominated sports like that, the kicker for Vanderbilt. Like, that, right. that's been allowed. Right. But I like that's not something that's being debated as like, oh, no, they're right. going to, like, transform the entire league. You know, right. the, the concern is, will biological men who have transitioned begin to take over women's sports at the top level. And the problem, right, is is basically it's a matter of precedent. You know, some of the arguments that we'll get into for pro-participation um, talk about how right now it's just a small issue. You know, there aren't that many people who are competing as transgender athletes in women's sports, and they're not really that successful in the professional level. They're really not doing very much, and therefore you know, it's not that big of a deal, just let them play. And I guess that's an interesting argument to make. But I think the concern is that, you know, like you said, what is the legal precedent we're going to set here? And those arguments, I think, definitely try to sweep that under the rug to try to avoid actually discussing the topic, which is a serious legal matter that will have ramifications for a long time. Yeah. And it, it not only that, but it undoes or has the potential, if taken to the ultimate extreme, to undo a lot of really good legislation that has been created to protect the integrity and the capability of female athletes like title nine now if there are biological people born male who are now transgender female who are taking women collegiate athletic scholarships they're taking opportunity away from biological women like that and that's what title title nine was existed to give that equality and now there are people who are biological males kind of taking that away Mm. but john the the transgender activist argument and the, the argument that supports transgender participation would start off by just saying, what are we doing even making a distinction between transgender and biological? Like mm-hmm. whatever someone is identified as, they they are. And in fact, they would say that we are bigoted for even having this conversation. Like they would say that we are wrong for even discussing and classifying someone as biological or transgender. I read an article from the ACLU and they're talking about the subject and their very first point was 
trans uh, transgender women are women, and even calling them transgender is wrong. Whatever they, whatever the, however they identify, they are. And so that 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 puts it in a really difficult position to even have an op- open and vulnerable conversation about this. But the pro participation argument does have plenty of merit that we need to talk about as well, John. So can you kind of break down where this argument kind of starts and where it goes? Yeah, I'd like to use the example of pro cyclist Rachel McKinnon, who is a transgender woman, to kind of, I guess, look through this argument because she broke in cycling the Masters Women's World Record in the 200-meter time trial in 2019. And she, you know, is officially recognized as a woman legally by numerous athletic bodies, by the IOC, I think, by the U.S. government. And she won that race and immediately took tons of flack because she broke, you know, broke a record and, you know, is a transgender female. And she ended up writing a New York Times op-ed to defend herself the first, the first most interesting argument she made, she claimed, first of all, that um, you know that she should be allowed to play, because she sees herself as a woman and she should be allowed to, and legally she is like, and under no system is she currently classified as a man um, by any legal standard. I guess the, essentially the claims were, you know, she has an unfair advantage because she went through puberty and went through the whole process of growing up with male hormones and then transitioned. Um, she claimed that, you know, having gone through, I think it was for seven years, having gone through transition and getting rid of testosterone and stuff, that she no longer had the physical advantages that, you know, testosterone in your body gives you. The most interesting argument that I thought she made that I think is Almost the strangest, the strangest argument, the biggest problem for the pro-participation side is she can't deny and she doesn't deny that her body did go through developmental process of a biological male body. That even mm-hmm. when you get rid of the testosterone that continues building your, you know, like the chemical advantages that the male body has in those um, situations, in athletic situations, her body has still developed in a completely different way than someone who is born female, you know? Um, And she basically says, in essence, as she's competing with those advantages, that they're no different than any other woman who's born taller than a different woman or Mm. given different social or economic advantages in competing. So basically she's saying, as a woman who sees herself as a woman, she does have a competitive advantage, but it's the same as the competitive advantage of any other woman. And the problem, right, the problem right there with that argument, I guess, is that you are admitting that you have, as a transgender woman, a competitive advantage, not necessarily over the best female athletes that you're competing against. Maybe you weren't a very good male athlete previously. You aren't necessarily the best female athlete automatically, you know. But... The question is, I think the biggest question is, are you better than you were on the other side? Like, are you getting a bigger competitive advantage here than over there? You know, the question is, you at the level you're at, it's not that you immediately have like a superlative advantage where you are able to compete at a level beyond every other female athlete, Mm -hmm. but you are better able to compete than if you were the same person born as a woman competing 
in women's sports. And that's the, I think that's the primary issue. I think it's difficult to, without just dismissing the argument entirely, that's difficult for the pro participation side to answer. Yeah, let me make, let me make my best case for pro participation. And it's actually in direct response to my anti-participation argument when I talked when I went through that list of the physiological differences. And the the pro-participation argument is there are equal disparities among the just in a, in a gender specifically as opposed to out of it. Right? There are outliers, and we should be viewing this issue not by just averages and putting all women and all men into the averages, but by looking at the outliers as well. Right? And so while on average a woman may be shorter or a little bit smaller, there are certainly outliers of people, of women who could compete mm. with men, like Serena Williams certainly could beat a pl- great deal of men in, on the professional right. tennis tour. And in the same way that there would be some men who are smaller or less athletic and or, or shorter or might, you know, would compete competitively with women. And I think one of the biggest examples is, so I mentioned that the average driving distance for between men and women is in golf for professionals is 270 for women. I'm sorry, 250 for women and 270 for men. Or maybe I said 270 for women and 290 for men. Okay, 270, 290. That's a difference of 20. Well, Bryson DeChambeau's average driving distance is 320, which is an even greater disparity from Bryson to the average man than the average man to the average woman. So is Bryson DeChambeau, does he need to be in his own league because he's ruining competition? Or like John Isner, the tennis player, the average men's serve is, I think I said, 116, and the average women was, I think I said, 98 or 93. John Isner's serve was, has served 157 <laughs> miles per hour, which, is, which, again, is a bigger disparity. So is, is John Isner ruining competition in tennis by being so much stronger than even the average male, right? So there, there are certainly, there's a conversation to be had, but to make, to eliminate someone from competition based on gender stereotypes does not take into account the uniqueness and the body of athletes as, as individuals, right. right? And so there would be cases where someone would be equally competitive, and I think that's worth considering. So, you know, sports are designed for different types of body types, different types of people to be able to compete together. That's why there can be an NBA player who's five foot nine, and there can be an NBA player who's seven foot six. Like that, that, that can happen. There can be an NFL player who's 160 pounds and one who's 300 pounds. Like sports is designed to create a system where different types of f- physiological structures can still compete against each other in a competitively integrity with competitive integrity. And I think that's worth noting that making a, a full decision based just on g- stereotyping gender structure, gender body structures could be damaging to not just the genders, but also to sports right. as a whole. Yeah, I, I, one of my issues, it's an interesting argument. One of my issues is like, I've seen a lot of straw manning kind of happen here where it's like, oh, it's not going to be like LeBron James just throws a wig on. I read this in an article somewhere. Like LeBron James throws a wig on and just goes plays girls high school basketball, you know, which would obviously be ridiculous. Um, and high school LeBron playing in a women's league would be, terrifying you know but i guess the the caveat i would say with that is that you are accepting that argument means that you are accepting the fact 
that those male development, um, those male scientific developments, or those male physical developments that you get, regardless of when you transition in, in your growth as an adolescent, you are accepting those as an acceptable advantage that transgender athletes can have over biological athletes. Mm -hmm. And that is the, the exchange you're saying is this is just like any other natural growth of a woman, you know, and that does, I think, depending on how big the issue gets, that does pose a potential risk. Um, I think, honestly, I think the most interesting argument that's currently being made and one that McKinnon made is the claim that, you know, like you kind of said about the disparities, the claim that transgender athletes are coming into sports and just dominating simply isn't true right now. Like That's she true. said, yeah, they are. They are generally competitive with the sport they identify she with. She said, you know, she when she broke that record, she discussed that she regularly loses races, and even in previous races, immediately prior to that race, lost to cyclists she beat in that race to set the record. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. she's winning every single race and just like mind-blowingly better than everyone else. She did regularly lose. She has losing records against some of the cyclists she's raced against. Um, that were in that race and her argument is basically like she just so happened to set that record that day by cycling really well and Mm -hmm. again you still have the issue of is the fact that she's gone through that growth as a man an unfair advantage compared to the growth that a six foot tall woman or a six two foot tall woman in the NBA WNBA is that the exact same thing that's the question. But I think that is an interesting argument. And it's fair to say the issue of precedent, I think, is the the turning point of this case, because from the pro participation side, they are correct in that it the situation is currently being overblown in terms of transgender athletes, like ripping apart the sports world. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And like you said, with the straw man, it's not LeBron James who's going to go transition to a woman. It's generally... And in, in many cases in high school, it's an instance where people don't even know, recognize the difference unless they're told it. Like these people who identify with a different gender than when they were born into, they blend in with their competition. They generally compete roughly the same. They might be somewhat more successive, but like generally people don't even know that they're transgender unless that information, unless they're told that information by a third party. It's not physically obvious. And so... But the question but, is, yeah, like, can, I think, could LeBron join the Women's right. League after going through transition? That's and right. That is, again, this this issue will not be decided unless that specific scenario is addressed in a cohesive way, and right. no one will agree until some form of mediation is found somewhere in there. <clears throat> not even, yeah, and not even LeBron right. James, right? If if a bunch of G League players who can't make the NBA but want to play great basketball decide to transition to women, would they then overrun the WNBA? Not even like the best male players, like G G League players. They're better than college. They're not as good as the NBA. They would overrun the WNBA. Yeah, remember there was that circumstance a few years ago where the the U.S. women's national soccer team played, I think it was the U15s of FC Dallas. Mm -hmm. Most of those kids will never play professional soccer. Um, They're in an academy at the MLS level. Um, most of them mm-hmm. move on to doing other things. And, you know, I think they, I think the U.S. women's team may have scored 
once or twice, but like they got soundly beaten by a group of 14 year olds. Yeah, that that's a good example, John. I think let's go ahead and see if we can find some middle ground. We have a few different examples, John. I want to start with something that we definitely can't do. And that is from my understanding, again, I don't know any transgender athletes, but just from my reading and trying to understand their perspective, the most hurtful and the most demeaning thing would be would be to like put them in a separate mm-hmm. class. You know, whether that was like some sort of like a transgender league on its own or something like some something that made them separate because the whole idea of gender dysphoria and transgender is trying is not feeling like you belong in the category that you've been placed. And so putting them in another category that is then ostracized or feels out of place is really, really wrong and really, really hurtful and really damaging to these, in many cases, kids in, in high school athletics. And so that's kind of like the worst case scenario, I think. That's definitely something that I, I wouldn't even consider. And it, it's worth noting that while we're talking about this from a competitive standpoint, we're talking about people who are going through real psychological trauma and feeling of not belonging and it's leading to suicide and mental health issues and all sorts of problems where people just feel like they don't have a place in the world with the way that they see themselves. And it's worth taking a moment to be empathetic to that, to be understanding of what is a real, what is a real issue for people that causes real mental health issues and real places of disbelonging. And I think that's just worth mentioning before we get into some things that maybe sports mm-hmm. could consider doing. Definitely. I think kind of starting, again, going back to that divide between inclusivity and fairness slash safety, any solution, you know, in a circumstance where, again, like with so many cultural issues we've talked about here, you know, we have the country split. We have a massive divide and split opinions with people whose opinions are almost irreconcilable. Um and whose beliefs are firmly rooted in moral beliefs, not just like political beliefs. For the pro-transgender mm-hmm. activist side of this thing, it's a question of who are you as a person? For people on the other side, it's, you know, is competition going to be taken out of women's sports by people who just mm-hmm. believe that they are women from that their side of the moral argument, you know? And like... Regardless yeah. of your beliefs on either of those two stances, those beliefs are not going to just change, you know, and that with something like sports where, you know, so often these social issues kind of come to a head here first for just some kind of strange reason, because we, you know, because sports somehow just ends up being the tip of the spear in almost every social issue in the past, like 150 years, you know, yeah, sports is going to have to deal with this well before a lot of other things will. And so sports, not only are we setting a precedent for sports here, but sports ends up setting a precedent for the rest of society a lot. You know, you think of, you know, we've talked in sports law class this semester about how much of desegregation happened first in sports before anywhere else in society. You know, that Mm -hmm. this is a changing place. It's a battleground for these social issues. And any solutions that we even remotely consider have to take all that into account. Yeah. John, one other thing that I want to note as well, and this is something that you, you kind of put on a rundown as well. You mentioned a, a famous female athlete who is who's open to 
transgender people playing in her sport, and that's Megan Rapinoe in soccer. And I think that's worth noting because in that ACLU article I read where it was kind of just debunking a few what they believe to be myths about transgender, they said that, you know, one of the one of the things that they said was that it was a myth that women don't want transgender women in their leagues. And they said in most cases they do. But I think in many cases that may be true. Megan Rapinoe is a good example. I'm sure there would be many other women who would welcome transgender women into their sports. But again, it's important to not view any group of people as a monolith of thought. Like there, there's allowed to be dissent. You know, J.K. Rowling's yeah. was an example of someone who mentioned, who brought up how the transgender movement took away from the experiences and the identity and of biological women. She was talking about, and she talking was, about yeah, she was specifically, and their rights being trampled on, I, from what I remember correctly, by transgender activists. And she was burned alive on the internet. All that to say is that it's worth mm-hmm. noting that people of all different experiences are going to view this topic yep. differently. And we can't we can't make an argument assuming that any group of people are some sort of intellectual monolith where they're all going to agree. Because I agree, if, if, if every single female athlete said, yeah, we welcome transgender women, that solves the issue. But right. that's simply not the case. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's not the case. John, a couple things that would be possible things that would maybe, maybe help these two sides meet in the middle. And one of these is definitely not yeah. going to happen ever. And that's just to take gender out of sports entirely which essentially would turn sports into a pure meritocracy. And what that would do is that would just say the most qualified, the best, whoever wins the tryout gets to play, which in theory isn't the worst idea in terms of competition, but the entire existence, like we said, of Title IX is that if that was the case, sports would be dominated right. by men. Like, let, let's, let's be really, really honest here for a second. How many... If there was no NBA and no WNBA, but just basketball, how many WNBA players would make it onto the yeah. NBA teams? Like mm-hmm. a handful. Probably like maybe, I would, I would say probably like 10. There are probably 10 women in the WNBA who would make an NBA roster. There may be more. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not, there are people who would know a lot better than I would. But just in general, that might be the case. In other sports, it may be more, it might be more mixed. Golf could be significantly more 50-50. Maybe not 50-50, but mm-hmm. certainly more women and in other sports, there might be less. But in those instances, again, the ability for that, that just, it, what that ends up doing is taking away spots from women, which is exactly what Title IX existed to prevent. And that's exactly what women's right. sports does, is it gives women a place where they're not going to be run out mm. of their sport yeah. by men. So not the solution. Solution A, no. Not the solution. The, the second one, I think, is interesting, and that is to allow transgender competition, but at a certain hormonal Which I will say threshold. Is what's currently happening in most things. That's right. And, John, I, I, there's a study that came out last month. Or I'm sorry, a study that came out in December of 2020 by the British Sports, the British Journal of Sports Medicine. And they did a recent study where they found that transgender women still have an advantage over cisgender women even after a full year on hormone therapy. And the author of that study, his name is Dr. Timothy Roberts. He does adolescent medical training in Kansas City. And he said that for an Olympic level, it would take at least two years of hormonal therapy for it to be an actually equal physiological similarity. So like he said that Timothy, Dr. Timothy said, at one year, the trans women on average still have an advantage over cis women. And that for the Olympic level, I'd say probably two years is more realistic than one year. So that's just an interesting argument. And what that would do is if they could find 
a hormonal level that makes transgender women be functionally the same in terms of athletic ability, what that would do is that would solve the this is ruining competition right. problem because it wouldn't be. They would be on an equal playing field, more or less. They would be able to go compete for it. And in theory, the the, the biological woman would have an equal opportunity to success as yeah. a transgender so the only, woman. Mm, and in, in theory, the, that would yeah, solve the problem. The only problem. problem with the theory, right, it, we still have the same issue there of the physical development in adolescence. Right? So unless you're going on puberty blockers or something, which the arguments on how successful those are in adolescence are still kind of mixed, you still have that question of physical development that you don't get rid of with that. Yeah. John, as I look at American society, I have no confidence that there's going to be any compromise just with how polarized things are. But ultimately, I just kind of want to leave this segment with just, I guess I'm just frustrated by all of it. I'm frustrated because I understand both sides and both sides make a lot of sense. And as someone who loves sports, I just want everyone to be able to play regardless of how you identify or how you feel. I just want I want this place to be a place for everyone. And like you mentioned that like all issues, sports is at the tip of the spear of culture. And that's true. But in this case, it's so frustrating because it's actually trying to take sports away from someone. And that's just, that's yeah, just really tough. Because, I mean, either either side of the argument claims that you're taking sports away from somebody, which makes it difficult to reconcile. John, do you have any way to end the segment with a better sense of closure? No, I mean, there's, there's, or, there will be no closure. I don't think there will be closure anytime soon with this issue. Um, that, that's just the harsh reality is as much as we can argue on the one side, like, you know, obviously state laws are coming into more and more effect. My guess is mm -hmm. someone will sue, will go all the way to the Supreme Court, and probably the Supreme Court will end up deciding kind of how this is all going to operate yeah. uh, and what laws states can pass probably within the next decade would be my guesstimate. Um, you know, it may take a while, but I think we will have a resolution here. I think it just kind of depends on the ways the judges vote. Yeah, and John and I are going to continue following along with this story. We'll continue, as if any new development, if a case goes before the Supreme Court or if there's a ruling or some sort of big big moment in the story, John and I are going to come back and do another podcast on this because I think this this issue, unlike sports speaking into culture, this is an issue where culture is speaking directly into sports, which is something that John and I have been attentive to throughout the entire existence of this podcast and are going to continue to be. John, I guess we'll go ahead and leave this part of the podcast here on this kind of unclimactic note of not knowing what's going to happen or what, what should happen or yeah. anything. So thank you for just talking through sure. this with me. I know that I don't, my opinion isn't formed fully yet and just getting to able to vulnerably mm -hmm. speak through it helps me and hopefully it helps you as a listener just understand the two sides and see the merit and the problems with both. And maybe you'll be able to come to a more full decision than I am right now, but hopefully this was able to just help as just a, just kind of a brainstorming session on what's going on and what could yeah, happen. Yeah, and we would love to hear your guys' thoughts. Um, whoever's listening, if you are, if you have different opinions than what we said or a different set of facts that you kind of have been forming your opinion based on articles you've read we'd love to hear from you we'd love to hear your questions and your thoughts and discuss them further on this podcast in the future um, so definitely send those in yeah and, and and this topic particularly due to my just lack of personal experience with with the sides of this as a 
biological male who's still a heterosexual male and doesn't really have a framework for understanding someone else's perspective other than reading and trying to be empathetic. If I've said something that's completely wrong or if John has or that comes across as insensitive or demeaning, just let us know. We want to be vulnerable and honest about this while still being true to, you know, the facts and the science and what's going on in the world. But if you have a problem with anything you've said or have something that uh, you think that we could have phrased better, just let us know because we want this to be a place where everyone can come and listen and feel like even if we don't agree with you, we at least want to be respectful and attentive to your position and your sure. beliefs. Yeah, John, I think we're going to go ahead and leave this podcast, this part of the podcast here. And when we come back, Far Corner has returned and John and I have a couple of decisions to hand out. So you don't want to miss that. And we are back with Var Corner, where John and I have some observations to hand out this week. John, yours dates back a long time. <laughs> so in terms of chronological timeline, I'm going to go ahead and let you go first, because mine is news Yeah, yeah it's not today. so much news as just I, an article that I read today that I just felt like sharing with our listeners. Today's funny news comes in the form of a realization I had while reading an article, and that is that Take Me Out to the Ball Game, the infamous baseball song that every baseball fan knows, Sung in the mm-hmm. seventh inning stretch of every the game. The music for said song, not the lyrics. Originally, I thought it was the lyrics, and I was like, that's very impressive. Mm-hmm. The music mm-hmm. for said song yeah. was composed by Jewish composer Albert von Tiltzer, who was a Jewish American. And Thank he you, had Albert. never attended a baseball game before composing said music, which I find to be hilarious given how synonymous his song is with baseball. Um, and it just kind of makes me. Just reflect on my total lack of baseball knowledge and the reality that, who knows, maybe one day I could have a cultural contribution to baseball. <laughs> I really hope not. <laughs> on the same level, having never been to an MLB baseball game ever. Eventually he did go, apparently, but like 20 years after he composed the music. So anyway, that's my gift to you guys today. This could be because I've just never gone to a baseball game without taking me out to the ball game, but I, that feels odd to me because it feels like like the tune does fit a stadium atmosphere well, like perfectly. Funny is like it, it feels like it, it fits. Also, it would appear from when I'm reading this article, yeah, no. So the writer, the writer of the song, was the composer's like musical partner, and he had also never been to a baseball game. Mm-hmm. So it's really, baseball fans, congratulations! You've been given the greatest gift really of all time in baseball. I mean, to be fair, the only thing that they knew about the game was that you eat food and there's three strikes. It, it is it is a very limited, like it's not, there's not a, it's not a baseball almanac right. written into this song. It is a pretty basic understanding of, but of still, the game. But still, I just find it funny that they were never even there. That's fascinating. Yeah. John, my Var Corner observation this week goes to a legend, and not just a legend, a sporting hero of mine who today announced his retirement. Roy Williams is... One of the greatest collegiate coaches of all time. He's one of the most legendary figures in basketball history. John, he has 903 career wins, which is the fourth most in men's Division I history. He won 400 games at two different schools. He's the only coach who's ever done that. He's a three-time national champion. He's inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame. And John, he is so great. And his legacy is so profound that he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2007. And he'd only won one championship. He won two more championships after already being in a Hall of Fame career. He essentially has like two Hall of Fame careers in one career. Like 2007, he had a Hall of Fame career at Kansas. And then after 2007, he had a Hall of Fame career at Carolina. 
he's just he's just the greatest. I love him. He has the best shoes of any coach I've ever seen. He wears like designer vintage Jordans. He's he's just elite. He's he's the master of the the suit sport jacket, the plaid sports jacket, and the sweaters. He's just just a great guy. And I think the best part about him is that none of his players have ever said a bad word about him. They all love him, and it's because he loved and respected all of his players, not just as players, but as people. And you see these athletes who, to this day, still look up to him as a father figure. And they're just I think there are very few coaches in sports who have left the type of impact on their players that he did on his. And it's just it's just been a delight to be a UNC basketball fan while Ray Williams has been my coach. Having never followed UNC at any point, really, I have nothing else to add to that. So, but congratulations, I suppose. Yeah, congrats on a, a Hall of Fame career coach. You'll be missed, but you deserve a happy retirement. I wish you nothing but the best. And then March Madness, Final Four. Our final thoughts. Who's gonna win? Okay, can I can I go in and can I say something about the the real Final Four that I'm paying more attention to? Did you know, and this stat blows my mind, did you know that this is the University of Connecticut's 13th consecutive Final Four appearance in the women's no, tournament? No, that's outrageous. They have, they have made 13 consecutive Final Fours. That's terrifying. That is a mind-boggling stat. That is a lot of Final Fours. Like, there aren't many men's programs who have ever made 13 Final Fours. I don't know if there are any. Especially not Yeah, I don't know. Right. That's yeah, just, just wild. As far as the men, I mean, it's still Gonzaga. I'm happy UCLA's I there. I think, I think that's a great story. I think that game was insane. Yeah. As soon as you pick them, too, it's go right down. Oh, well. It's my luck. It's it happens luck. to the best of us, John. You're, you so are the it's jinx. What? It's uh, UCLA versus Gonzaga and then Baylor versus Houston. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. It, it does like feel like matchup. this is yep. just inevitable. It just feels I like Gonzaga is inevitable. They're like Thanos. No. Gonzaga is is Thanos, but there is no Iron Man. Like, he's just, he's it. They're, yeah, they're mm-hmm. they're the best team by far. It's not even close. Did you know, John, they've now won 30 games, mm-hmm. and only one of those games have been decided by less than 10 points. That's horrifying. They've won, tw- they've won 29 out of their 30 games by double digits. That's a lot of games. That's a lot yeah, of games yeah, and a lot just, of digits. Just outrageous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just, out- it's oh, absolutely outrageous. Well, guys, thank you so much for being tuned into the podcast. Uh, I can't wait to win our podcast bracket challenge by Monday. It's going to be all wrapped up in mine. I'm excited about that. Yeah, it's going to be great. In the meantime, guys, if you guys have any thoughts about today's podcast, especially with today's podcast, please let us know. We would love any of your input, criticisms or compliments or just thoughts in general. If you have a different perspective or something that we didn't think about, we'd love to hear about it. You can reach out to us on our Twitter or on our Instagram. We're going to post both You can reply to our tweets or swipe up on our Instagram stories and let us know how you're feeling. We would love to hear from all of you. Make sure to subscribe if you aren't subscribed on whatever platform you're using. We're on all of them. So if if, if they have a podcast platform, we're probably on it. And if you are on Apple, ratings and reviews are nice. We'd like to know that, you know, we're worthy of five of your stars if you have those to offer. So thank you. We'll we'll take three. Or three, yeah. (laughs) We just want at least some. But the most important way that you could share this podcast is with your own personal recommendation to a friend. Because I know in my life that if, you know, if I'm just scrolling through podcasts and it's like, oh, that one looks like it's popular, but I don't really have any personal connection to it. But if my friend, like if John Nekrasov sends me a podcast, I know that it's going to be worth my time. So if you think that we're worth someone's time, just text us, text them a link to our podcast and tell them to check it out. We would really, really appreciate that. Guys, until next week. 
We hope you all continue to take care, be safe, enjoy baseball, enjoy enjoy the final four. Even though I won't. Thank you. Thank you. And most importantly, next week we'll be back with a full Masters preview. And I can't wait to hear what John has to say about the Masters. Stay tuned for that, guys, because I'm not sure that's going to happen. Until next week, guys, (laughs) we'll talk to you then. (laughs) 